Let's Go Tokyo with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings. Well, how exciting is it? It didn't come exactly when we expected to. Because of the pandemic, the Olympics in Tokyo are a year later than they should have been. But they're here. Well, they're almost here. <laughs> and who is here now is my good friend, Mark Reddings. G'day, mate. Hello, Ben. Yes, an air of excitement, isn't there, for not only the athletes, but those of us who will be watching and, and listening and hoping that from an Australian point of view, we get some results. And, and you have to spare a thought for these athletes that have been through so much, not just in the past four years, but five years. The uncertainty, as we said, excitement now building. And we're not far away from the biggest 10 days or 12 days of sporting activity in the world. Well, it's massive, especially after what we've all gone through over the last uh, 18 months or so. Now, I've never covered an Olympics on the ground. This is not your first rodeo, though. No, it's been a real privilege to get to at least one Olympic Games. Uh, went to Sydney in 2000 in a reporting basis. But from a commentary point of view, it was an absolute highlight to go to London in 2012, commentate the gymnastics, which is a really popular sport at uh, that level. At the level. Olympic level. Absolutely. Everybody watches it. TV-wise and... Uh, not having a great background in gymnastics, I had a wonderful expert alongside me, Liz Chetkovich, and she just gave me so much confidence in delivering the broadcast side of it, but she had the expertise, the technical knowledge, and all that goes with her years of experience. So to be in London, albeit such a different scenario to Tokyo in a week or two, because there were crowds, there was a buzz around this wonderful city, and it's going to be so different. But yeah, to be there and commentating and, and watching the best in the world striving for the ultimate, it's uh, a definite career highlight. Yeah, well, it is going to be so different in Tokyo. You're bringing that wealth of sports knowledge. I'm bringing my own knowledge of Japanese culture to this podcast. This will be the first year that I haven't been to Japan in about eight years. Uh, I love it over there. I love the culture. It has been incredible to watch the city get ready for the Olympics over the past few years. Every time I've visited, another stadium has been built. More work has been done on the transportation system. The train stations have all been renovated. Now they're all going to sit empty because, as we know, because of COVID, there's not going to be fans in the stand. The state of emergency has been declared, casts an interesting cloud over this Olympics and one that will make the action on the field even more fascinating. And given your history with Tokyo and you know the, the realms of it, just in brief, uh, how will the Tokyo city cope with the athletes being there but they're not allowed to be part of it because there's a bit of a mixed feeling about whether this event should go ahead from them given the COVID scenario. Yeah, I think on one hand you've got certainly a section of the community in Japan who are not so enthusiastic about the games going ahead. They've got some issues in the hospitals over there with COVID but the organisers, certainly the government, very keen to get this going forwards. Uh, the athletes themselves are very keen. You know, they wait their whole careers for an opportunity to compete at the Olympics. So there's certainly that element uh, and I think the positives to take out of it are it's going to run very smoothly. Like you're talking about one of the busiest metropolises in the world. And a lot of people before COVID was thinking, how is it even possible to manage a huge crowd going in and out of the Japanese subway system? It just seemed impossible. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that this time around. Uh, for the athletes... I guess they're going to be confined to the athlete's village. Uh, their preparation has probably been impacted. They maybe in the past would have headed to Japan a little bit earlier to get acclimated. That probably hasn't happened in most cases. How that impacts performance is going to be so interesting. And the other factor, which is certainly not related to the Australian athletes, but the home team. Man, normally you draw so much inspiration, so much energy from a crowd in the stands just driving you on. Interesting to see how the, the local athletes, how they handle the fact that there's 
in many of these venues, not going to be any spectators. That's going to be an interesting point. In fact, how every athlete handles the way this event is run and the restrictions placed on them could well tell a tale as to the performances that unfold over the next fortnight. Yeah, well, it's not a stretch to say this is going to be an Olympics like no other for a lot of reasons. And I think what the Japanese people who may be doubting uh, the wisdom of holding the Games are going to realise exactly the same as we did with footy last year and in America they did with the NBA and the NFL. Staging these events actually is a source of positivity in an otherwise pretty dark time. And I bet you when that first Japanese athlete gets a gold medal, uh, think will turn around very quickly. Can't wait for it. Uh, So much excitement building towards what will be an unusual Games, but one that we are hoping goes without a hitch, but given the current scenario... You just know there's going to be a couple of hurdles, uh, and we expect that. And that's part of that's part of the fun of the Olympics. And uh, there's going to be a lot of fun on this particular podcast. We're going to have a host of former Olympians. Let me just run through some of these names for you, Skeet. Eamon Sullivan. What a superstar in the pool. Superstar West Aussie. Todd Pearson. A gold medalist. Emma George. Yep, the pole vaulter who has got a remarkable... In fact, we've got a great history in pole vaulting, so her knowledge, her expertise, it'll be great to find out some more about that from her. The great Sally Carbon. Yes, gold medalist from 1992 in hockey and the hockey ruse. How will they fare after what's been a tumultuous 12 months off the pitch? Yeah, yep, it's going to be really interesting to see the performance of that team. Uh, And then, of course, the great Andrew Vlahov. Yes, and uh, he takes the mickey out of himself by... Laughing and maybe crying at the prospect and the fact that he missed out on a medal with the Boomers. In fact, our best finish is a fourth. So can the Boomers, we know Paddy Mills is the flag bearer, can they, even without Ben Simmons, push the Americans, push the other nations and get themselves a medal for the first time in Olympic history? And it's not just former Olympians. We're going to have some athletes that are actually bound for Tokyo, will be competing in Tokyo. And we've got one of them on the line now, uh, artistic swimmer Amy Thompson. Are you there, Amy? I'm here. Hello. How are you feeling? I'm good. How are you today? Oh, very well. Now, tell us a little bit about your preparation for the Olympics and how you're feeling heading to Tokyo shortly. So we had our Olympic qualification in January 2020, and uh, we were named on the Australian Olympic team. That was all awesome. We started our training camp, and then COVID happened. So we all went home for a while, and then we moved to the AAS in Canberra, January 2021 and we've been here since then training full-time twice a day and um, we've been doing that up until now and we leave in a couple of weeks. So Amy talk us through the 12-month delay now you always like to look with the glass half full but do you think it's given you and the rest of the team a chance to improve your skills and get to the level you need to be to be really competitive? For our team I like I said, it's been a bit of a blessing in disguise, really, to give us that extra year of prep. We got a new coach who's really helped our team come to the next level. We, our team has changed quite a bit. We have three new team members, and three have retired because of the um, two because of the postponement, and one because of an injury. So our team has changed a lot, but as I said, it's been a blessing in disguise. We're speaking to Amy Thompson, of course, part of Let's Go Tokyo and heading across to the biggest event of her life. In fact, a strange event because compare it to the Athletes Village, say, in Rio, and we know there's going to be so many restrictions. Uh, Is that providing concern for you and and your your teammates or do you just have to roll with the flow? Um, Kind of have to roll with the punches here, as you just said. But uh, there is a little bit of concern, you know, what if, what if there's a COVID outbreak in the village at the start of the Games before we get there? Because we're in the second week. 
you know, what's going to happen then. There's a, there's a lot of unknowns, but I know that the um, International Olympic Committee, the Japanese Organizing Olympic Committee, they've put a lot of rules and regulations in place to make sure that everyone is as healthy as they can be. And tell us a little bit about the sport itself, Amy. Uh, to a lot of people, it's been synchronised swimming. Now it's called artistic swimming. The best Australia has ever finished is seventh in Athens in 2004. Who are the powerhouse nations? Uh, and it's curious that it's one of only two sports at the Games that's female only. That, that's correct, yeah. Um, so the team that has been winning gold for about 20 years, that's Russia, followed by China or Spain, usually, um, comes second. Uh, so the Chinese team has always come second since I can remember at the Olympics, apart from a Spanish duet in London. Uh, and then the next two best teams would be Japan and Ukraine this time round. Okay, so just on a personal note, Amy, can you talk us through how you came to become uh, an Olympic athlete through artistic swimming? Because a lot of young ladies uh, wouldn't have been at the top of some of their lists when it comes to uh, a sporting achievement or a sporting goal. What about you? No, it's quite a unique sport. Um, I wasn't very good at swimming and I wasn't very good at gymnastics. uh, And someone suggested to try um, synchronised swimming was called at the time and I tried it and I loved it and turns out I was kind of good at it as well so that helped um, and yeah that, that that's that's my story I did recreational swimming for recreational synchronized swimming for about a year and then my coach suggested that I move into the competitive program and it took my heart and that was now, there's all sorts of weird questions. I'm sure you get asked about the merits of artistic swimming, but have you ever been asked, or how regularly do you get asked, about how long can you hold your breath underwater? <laughs> yeah, we get asked a lot. Um, <laughs> look, it's not, it's not the kind of thing, it's not part of our training that we just sit underwater and time it. You know, our heart rate in the middle of a routine is very, very high, so it's, we do hypoxic training with our heart rate at a, at a maximum. Uh, a lot of us can swim over 50 metres underwater and probably up to about 75 metres underwater. But, wow. we, you know, we don't do that very often because it's not very useful. And um, what's more useful is doing sprint work and within the sprint we'll hold our breath. And just and it looks to me from the outside that so much power is involved in performing some of those moves. At the end of a routine, are you just completely spent? Exhausted. At the moment you stop and all your muscles have a moment to to relax, they get this surge of oxygen in them and you just feel like jelly. Yeah, wow. And can you give us any idea about the routine you're going to be performing over there? Is it a closely guarded secret? Um, not really, not really. Um, we're pretty open with, our, with our, the, the themes and the music that we've been going for. So the two team routines, the, um, one is to Tokyo Drift, and that is our technical routine, and we're trying to portray the energetic nightlife in Tokyo. So there's lots of just fun, fun movements, and and everything's quite powerful. And then the second routine, which is our longer routine, it's our free routine. That's um to the music of Avatar, which is a an animation TV series, and we are sort of portraying the battle between water and fire. Sounds like something to look at for Amy. Uh, and when it comes to performances and results, what are you aiming for? What would you like to come away from Tokyo with regards to coming away with a result and a personal best, for instance, for this team that you've worked so hard to get across uh, to Tokyo? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 
It would be a dream come true to just not come last. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, like synchro is not. I mean, athletics. I mean, it's not a big sport in Australia. We do our best. We've been living in, at the AIS. Yeah, we are training full time. Um, but as I said, we are, we've only done that since this year. You know, the top countries they do that since they're nine, and that's what we're competing against. Yeah. Wow. So, we, we, I, we sacrifice as much as we can. We work as much as we can um, in the pool. But, you know, a lot of us have jobs outside. We all have to study as well. Um, and it's a, like, it's a full-time sport. You know, we're, in, we're training nine out to ten hours every day. So it's very difficult to balance things. Um, and, you know, if you haven't been doing that and if you're not funded since at a young age, it's very hard to compete against those countries that are. Isn't it so, funny? Yeah, Isn't I would it... love to not come last. Well, guess what, Amy? That's was Ben's aim when he was at school in sport, just not to come last. And we've got him into the broadcasting business with the West Live. And I tell you what, he's making exactly. a good fist of it. Yeah, exactly. Professional sport wasn't for me, so I went into journalism instead. Uh, now, Amy Thompson, thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Go Tokyo. We wish you all the best. A real underdog story, the Australian artistic swimming team, but your nation will be cheering you on all the way. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. What a delight. What a fantastic thing. And how great is it going to be talking to Olympians like Amy and former Olympians about this? Like, the Olympics only comes around every four years and five years in this case. It's a special thing. Absolutely. And as we said, we sit back and make judgment on whether they should, the Games, go ahead or not because of the pandemic. But all of these athletes from every nation, they have worked their backside off. And you heard the hours and the time they put into it. They deserve this opportunity. Yep, so let's just remind the people uh, they're going to get more of this uh, Olympians, former Olympians analysis of what went on uh, in competition, outside of competition highs and lows And hopefully a, a growing medal tally for Australia throughout the uh the couple of weeks of competition. We've got so many sports to get through. It's going to be exhaustion by the time we finish. Forget the athletes, just going and staying and watching every event 24-7. Have you thought about the tally? Have you thought about what might be a realistic goal for Australia? Well, we're sending a very large group of athletes in terms of numbers, so we're right up there with numbers. I guess the pools where we always try to excel, but we're going to talk, as you said, to a couple of guns, Eamon Sullivan and Todd Pearson, just to find out what they think is realistic. Yeah, and America in a post-Phelps world, maybe a few more medals up for offer than there has been in the past. Perhaps vulnerable indeed. Yep, fantastic. All right, guys. Well, you can find Let's Go Tokyo wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, look forward to speaking to you then. You've been listening to Let's Go Tokyo by The West Live with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings.